As we continue our study in the book of Romans, I'd like for you to turn to Romans chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 23. Romans chapter 6. And I'd like you to follow through, following your Bibles as I read. The title of the message is Saying No to Sin. Saying No to Sin. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sins live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then of those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now be made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage. And I pray that we as Christians will understand that sin is serious and that we would desire not to participate in sin. Help us to be holy because you tell us that you're holy and therefore we should be holy. Give us understanding today as you look in this passage and I pray that the truth revealed here would help us to say no to sin. If there's somebody who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, I pray today, Lord, that would be the time they come to faith in Jesus and they might put their trust in you and what you did for them on the cross call on you to save them, and I pray that today might be the day of salvation for them, because we know, Lord, that to continue in sin 
and to be under sin is a very dangerous position because when death comes, it's immediate separation from God for eternity. And I just ask, Lord, that you might help that person without Jesus to be saved today. Given able to bring the message, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us know sin is a transgression of God's law. It is anything that displeases our holy and righteous God. Holy because that's his character. He is set apart from all. He is absolutely holy, set apart from sin. And righteous, that's the way he acts. He always does what's right. So our holy and righteous God is our God, our Savior, and he wants us to please him, and we should want to please him. It can be we can sin by thoughts, we can sin by words, we can sin by actions, or we can sin by lack of actions. That means to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you are a Christian, you should be opposed to doing anything that is wrong, anything that displeases God. I mean, that should be characteristic of our life. We are opposed to doing anything that's wrong. Now, that should set us apart or will set us apart from everybody else in the world that's not Christians. It'll set us apart in a stark manner if we just determine we're going to live away so that we always say no to sin. I heard the illustration one time of a little boy that went to church, and that day his dad couldn't go with him. And so when the little boy got home, his dad said, well, how was church? He said, because he didn't use many words, he said, all right. And uh, he said, what did the preacher preach about? And he said, sin. And he said, well, what did he say about it? He said, he's again it. <laughs> he was again it. Well, we should be against it too. <laughs> we should be against, against, against sin. But sometimes it's hard to go through a week or even through a day without doing, saying, or thinking something that's not right, something that displeases God. We often find ourselves using 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning, the passage that we have gives us some help in saying no to sin. Previously in Romans, Paul has made it clear that the person who trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior is justified, and if he's justified, then he has the righteousness of God applied to his count. So there's justification and imputation of righteousness. That means that when you trust Jesus as your Savior, he declares you to be righteous that's justified. He declares you to be righteous. The reason he can do that is also at the same time you trusted Jesus, he gave to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when God looks at you and me as a believer, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and we're accepted in the beloved, as the scripture says. So we're justified, declared righteous because of Jesus. Now, God demands that Christians walk, reflect their standing. Our standing is a standing of righteousness. So I could point to every Christian here today and could say, in God's sight, God's sight, you are righteous because you have the righteousness of Jesus. And so it's only uh, natural to, to understand that God wants us to walk in, in accord with our standing. We are righteous, therefore we should act like it. We should be acting like what we are, and that is we're righteous 
in Christ Jesus. In fact, God demands of the Christian holiness. He demands that we live a life of holiness, separation from evil, that we do what is right. Now, that demand of the Lord is not to help us to get to heaven. That doesn't help. You being good and doing good deeds and saying no to sin does not help you get to heaven. It does not make you more acceptable to God. It doesn't help in that way. But we should be holy for various reasons. We should be holy because he has made us righteous in Christ. I mean, we are righteous in Christ. That's our standing. So we should naturally want to be what we are, and that is we are righteous in Christ Jesus. And a sin should be something that we abhor because that makes us... Con- that makes us appear contrary to what God has said we are, and that is righteous in Christ Jesus. The Bible says there's another reason you should be holy, and that is because he is holy. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. We should be holy because we want to please the one who's done so much for us. That's what the Lord means. You remember when he says that you should, you should want to please the one who's chosen you to be a soldier. And so we should want to please God who's done so much for us. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ, if we've trusted him as our Savior, he has saved us from all of our sins, forgiven us of everything, past, present, and future of all of our sins. He's given us the righteousness of God applied to our account. We're accepted in the beloved. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are promised that we're going to go to heaven someday. We are promised that there's going to be rewards for serving Jesus. I mean, we have everything, and it's all because of Jesus. We should want to live for him. We should want to say no to sin because of what Jesus has done for us. And we also should want to be, be, say no to sin because we are ambassadors. I mean, that's not a choice you make. You are an ambassador. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you are an ambassador of Christ, and that means on this world, in this world, you represent Jesus Christ. You represent heaven. You are an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, and an ambassador should not want to bring reproach to his Savior or his country where he's a citizen, and that is heaven. And so we are ambassadors for Christ. In this passage, Paul has his thoughts centered around three questions. And I want you to look at it and see that with me. And these three questions are seen in verse 1, verse 15, and verse 21. Let's look at it together. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we then say to these things? In my Bible, I've 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 circled uh, what. It says, what shall we say to these things? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the first question. The next question is verse 15. What? I circled it in my Bible. What then? Shall we sin because we are under the law, but not, but under, not, under, not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. And then the last question is found in verse 21. I've circled what? What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? So three questions he asked in that passage. And those three questions, I believe, we find three things that should help us uh, serve the Lord and say no to sin. Now let me... Let's look at those three things. The first one is, is this. It will help you say no to sin if you will realize where you are. Now, you might say today, well, Pastor, I'm at Sugar Run Valley Baptist Church. You know where I'm at. <laughs> no, I'm not meaning that physical location. 
I'm saying it will help you say no to sin if you realize where you are. And this passage says you are, as a believer, you are in Christ. In Christ. Now, some of, most of us would say that there are certain things that you should not do when you're in the house of God. I mean, there are certain things that you should not do. You know, when the message is being, is, uh, being preached, you shouldn't be uh, checking the Internet. <laughs> uh, when the message is being preached, you shouldn't be whispering to somebody and telling, and telling somebody uh, uh, some gossip about somebody else. You know that's not right. You know it wouldn't be right for uh, a couple to come in and, and church, the pre- Word of God's being preached, preached, and the back row they're making out and doing immoral things, you know. That wouldn't be right. And you know it wouldn't be right to come into the church and stand up here and tell everybody a lie. Well, that wouldn't be right. And you say, why wouldn't it be right? Well, first of all, it's wrong. And secondly, you're in church. (laughs) There's things you don't do in church, you know. I mean, you're in the house of God. Well, the Lord says, let me remind you, Christians, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. And it should help you say no to sin when you realize where you are, and that is you are in Christ. Some were saying, if grace abounds where sin abounds, then let's continue in sin so that grace may abound. And that's the question he's, he's asking. He's, you know, some are saying this. Is that what we should do? Well, God forbid we shouldn't do that. And uh, grace never leads us to sin. Grace who puts us in Christ, that puts us in Christ, never leads us to sin. Uh, Titus chapter 2, uh, if you'll turn there with me, it, it's a great verse on on grace. I remember reading a book one time. I won't tell you what book it is because you probably know who wrote it and all that. I'm not, that's not my purpose today. But I remember reading a book one time. It was all about grace. It's about that thick. And I thought as I read that book, it was a good book. They never mentioned Titus 2. How can you write a book about grace and not mention Titus 2? And I looked over it again, and I might have missed it, but I looked and see, tried to find somewhere in that book it, re- it, it referenced Titus 2, and it wasn't there. It was still a good book, but I think it missed a very important point. And Titus 2, verse 11 and 12 says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. You see, grace teaches you something. The fact that you're not getting what you deserve, that God's gracious to you, teaches you something. And here's what it teaches you. teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Grace teaches us to live a holy life. Grace teaches us to live a life that's pleasing to God, that says no to sin. Grace teaches us that. So to say that... uh, because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So let's just go ahead and sin so grace abounds. Uh, Paul says, God forbid. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't reason that way. Paul argued that if we realize who, where we are because of grace, it will bring us to victory over sin. You see, we are in Christ, and being in Christ is a wonderful thing. Now, the question is, how do you get in Christ? Well, let's look at it in verse 3. It says in verse, in verse 3, Know ye that, not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now those who believe in baptismal regeneration, that means you're saved by going down in the water. 
they'll use this verse. But let me tell you, this verse is not speaking of water baptism. In fact, because of the context, it's not speaking of water baptism. It's not also not speaking of water baptism when it says, uh, bared in the likeness of his death. I don't think it's talking about the water baptism. It's talking about spirit baptism. Now let's go with, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For one, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one spirit. Verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. We're baptized into one body. What body? The body of Christ. We're in Christ. How do we get in Christ? We're baptized by one spirit. This is not talking about water baptism in Romans chapter 6. This is talking about spirit baptism. You see, the word baptize means to uh, dip or plunge down into or immerse into something that's uh, a different environment that you're normally in. And a lot of confusion has been made because when they translated the... Uh, the New Testament, they didn't translate, tra- translate the word baptizo. They just made it into a new English word that sounded like baptizo. Now, why would they do that? Well, back years ago, it was a very popular practice, as it is today, that uh, many churches didn't, pa- didn't practice immersion. They practiced sprinkling. And so they'd sprinkle ki- people. And that was called baptism. That's not baptism. The word baptized, baptizo, the Greek word, means to plunge down into, to dip into something. In fact, a form of that word is the same word that's used in Luke 16 where it says the rich man, he went to hell and he cried to Father Abraham to let Lazarus dip his finger in water. And the word there is a form of the word baptizo, which means dip it down in the water. You know, plunge it down in the water so there'll be a little water left and tip it on the, on the tip of my tongue. And so what he's talking about is plunging into something. And water baptism is that. We, we plunge down into the water and we come back out of the water and it pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's a very important thing. It's a, a church ordinance. But this is not talking about water baptism. You don't get, you don't get in Christ by dipping in the water. And so when you talk to somebody and they ask you if you're saved, don't tell them, oh, yeah, I was baptized. You can tell them that later, but you tell them, yes, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Later, I followed the Lord in baptism to show publicly that I wasn't ashamed, that I'm a Christian, and all of that. And so that's, this is very important. But this passage in Romans chapter 6 is not talking about water baptism. It's talking about spirit baptism. So what happened when you were saved? Well, you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the Lord says, the moment you did that, the Holy Spirit came inside of you and and dwelt you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, I think it is, if you have not the Spirit of God, you're none of His. And so God puts, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And by the Holy Spirit, he he, He puts you into the body of Christ. He puts you in Christ. And it's a wonderful thing that our, our standing is in Christ. And so if we understand where we are, we know that we're in Christ. So if you're in Christ, I mean, it matters how you live. 
I mean, you leave the church. Are you still in Christ? You left the church. Did you leave Christ? No. You left the church. You're still in Christ. Wherever you go, you're in Christ. When you're tempted to, to commit a sin, uh, you need to remind yourself, you are in Christ. That's your position. God says it's not, it's not a question. It's a fact. It's not based on feeling. It's a fact. You are in Christ if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So this is a spirit baptism. And he shows the significance of that by using three words for us to understand this. And that is for us to understand we're in the body of Christ. He says, know, reckon, and yield. Three words. Uh, Let's look at it in Romans chapter 6. Know ye not that so many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. And so we identify with Christ. We are baptized into Jesus Christ. And uh, he says, you need to know this. Know about your identity with his death, burial, and resurrection. You're baptized and you were plunged into his death. You are a participant in his death. So when Christ died on the cross of Calvary, you died in a sense. And uh, because he died for you. He was taking your place. He was dying for you, your sins. And so somebody paid your price. Somebody died for your sins. It was Jesus. And you're in Christ, and so you're a part of that. And uh, he says there's, this is our standing in Christ. And as I said, it's not based on our feeling. It's a fact that we were baptized into his death. We are buried with him, and uh, we shall be also in his resurrection. The old man is crucified all because of that. And that says in verse 6. Then he says another no. He says, know that, they, that your old self is crucified. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So when Christ was, sac- was, was crucified on the cross of Calvary, because you're in Christ, your old man was crucified as well. That is your old self, what you used to be, your, after your old sin nature. You lived after your sin nature. And that's crucified. You're, you're dead in that sense uh, to sin. And since so henceforth we should not serve sin because sin uh, is, is, uh, is defeated and we're not a servant of sin any longer. And so he says in verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. So it'll help you be, say no to sin when you realize I'm in Christ. And when Jesus died for me on the cross, I died with him. And then when Jesus rose from the grave, I rose with him. And so Jesus has died for me, and I know this. Also, he says, know that our old self is crucified. Uh, Verse 6 says, uh, let me see, I turned the wrong page. Verse 6, knowing that the, your old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And so the old self is crucified. And then he says reckon. So you know these things, then you reckon. Reckon means God's told me this, and I reckon it to be true. I count it to be true. I calculated it to be true. I know that it's absolutely true what God says. I am dead to sin. I have, Jesus has died for me, so I reckon this. I compute it. I count it for myself to be true. I am dead, that I am dead unto sin. That means I'm unresponsive to sin. Now, I know that we don't live that way sometimes. You ever have Christians say, 
I know I did wrong, but I just couldn't help it. That's not true. The temptation was so strong, I just couldn't help it. Yes, you could. Because you need to reckon the fact that you are dead to sin. You're unresponsive to sin in the new nature, in the new man, because you died with Christ, and you died unto sin. When he died unto sin, you died unto sin, so you don't need to serve it anymore. Before we were dead in sin, and without Christ, and no hope, and without God, Ephesians tells us, but now we're alive in Christ, and uh, we must act in faith and claim that victory. We must reckon it to be true. So, you know, there's an illustration, I believe. It's not quite fits, but does in a way. And I was thinking about it as I was preparing this message and thinking about it. Uh, you remember David and Goliath? Well, all of his brothers and all of Israel, they faced the same thing. They faced the great big Goliath who was over nine feet tall, and he would come out and threaten them and said, if you'll kill me, then you will be, we'll be your servants. But if, we, if I kill you, then you'll be our servants. They all cowered in fear. But David walked up and he says, isn't there a cause? And he said, I can do this. Not that I can, but God who helped me kill the lion and God who helped me kill the bear will help me take care of this guy. And David went out and won the victory. What was it? It was belief in God, trusting God to do it. I believe those others could have done it if they would have trusted the Lord and believed the Lord and gone out in faith, but they didn't. But David did. David said, I trust God. So we don't have to serve sin. We don't have to go and say a fault to sin. We don't have to do that because the Lord says you need to reckon it to be true. And so you know, you reckon, and then you yield. Look at verse 11, I mean verse 12. He says that we are to yield to the Lord. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that ye shall obey the lust thereof. Neither, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. The word instruments is the word that can be translated weapons. And uh, the Lord says you have instruments. You have parts of your body. You have your hands and your feet and your legs and you have your ears and your, and your eyes and you have, you have your, your tongue. Oh, the Lord, devil likes to use your tongue, doesn't he? And God says, you don't need to surrender your instrument, your weapon, over to the devil. You don't need to do that. You need to yield to God. And if you yield to God, God will let you use your tongue to, be, to say wholesome things, not tear people down. If you yield to God, God will allow your hands to be used to accomplish good things and walk to your feet to go good places and your mind to think good thoughts, they're all instruments, they're all weapons in this battle for, uh, against sin. And the Lord says you need to yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And God says, I can give you victory in all those things. Sometimes Christians face uh, addictions. You know, and I've, I've counseled some good Christians who really want to do right, and they have such a hard time. Maybe they're addicted to, maybe they've been addicted to drugs. Maybe they've been addicted to alcohol. Maybe they've been addicted to cigarettes. Maybe they've been addicted to, uh, to, to sex, or all kinds of things, you know. Maybe they're addicted to laziness. That's a sin too. And, uh, and they, they'll say, you know, I'm having such a struggle with it. I just can't seem to conquer it. 
And the Lord says, the fact is, whatever you think, you can conquer it. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. You can do it. Why? Because if, you're, if, you're, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you belong to him, and you're in Christ, and you have, he has died for you, and you're dead to sin in that way. You don't have to respond to that sin. You can be unresponsive, and you just have to do it in faith and trust the Lord and reckon it to be true and say, Lord, I can have victory because you, gonk, you, you promised me this, and uh, you have to reckon and you yield to God. And when you have that temptation, there's that temptation. You either yield to the, to the temptation or you yield to God, and you make the choice. And the Lord says you yield to God, and you can use those instruments God given you to, for righteousness and not for unholiness. Do not yield your members of your body unto sin. And he says, yield yourselves unto God. So we're to yield unto the Lord and not unto uh, sin. So we can say no to sin because of where we are. Where are we? We're in Christ. And then secondly, you can say no to sin. We find this in answer to the second question. And we can say no to sin when we realize who we are. Who are you? You say, well, I am, and you give your name. That's not what we mean. We say, who are you? And the Lord answers, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. You're not a servant of sin. You're a servant of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. That's the gospel. And that's doctrine. That's teaching. Jesus died for your sins on the cross of Calvary. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He justifies you when you trust him as your Savior. He gives you his righteousness. He puts you in Christ. All that's doctrine. And he says, when you, uh, when you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So who are you as a, Christ, as a Christian? You're a servant. You're a servant of God your servant of righteousness. That's who you are. And so when we're faced with all these temptations and everything, we need to understand, I am in Christ. That's my standing. And I recognize that I'm a recipient of all the blessings that come from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And secondly, I am a servant. Not I should be, but I am. You see, there are certain things that we as Christians are. We've studied on Wednesday night recently. And uh, we are a saint. You are a saint if you trust Jesus as you're, you're set apart unto God. You are an ambassador. I mean, you didn't decide to be. You are. We are an ambassador, Second Corinthians chapter 5. We are a, a member of God's body, a Christ's body. We are that. We are all these things. You are a soldier of Jesus Christ. You don't join God's army. You are put in God's army by God when, you, when he saves you. You don't have a question, a, a choice about that. When you trust Jesus, and you don't disagree with it because, I mean, you love Jesus. When you trust Jesus, you're a soldier. And so those things you, you are. 
And so he says, we are servants. You are servants of Jesus Christ. We are to serve. That means we are to obey him. We used to be servants of sin. We obeyed sin, but now we're servants of God, and we obey the Lord. That's who we are. So how can I say no to sin? Well, I recognize I'm in Christ, and I recognize, I realize the fact that I am a servant of Jesus Christ. So servants obey. Servants do the will of their master. Servants obey the Lord, and that's who I am. I'm a servant. And then there's a third thing, as seen from the third question, and that's in verse 21. What fruit had ye then in things whereof ye are now ashamed? For into those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end thereof everlasting life. You have. You have. So how can we say no to sin? Realize where we are, realize who you are, and realize what you have. What do we have? From this passage, it tells us a couple of things that we have. We have fruit unto righteousness. Fruit unto righteousness. Let's take a minute and turn over to Galatians chapter 5, and we'll look at again, uh, again at the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we should say no to sin because we have something. That is, we have fruits of the Spirit. And uh, love, joy, peace, goodness, long-suffering, faith, uh, meekness, temperance, all these things. We have the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. You see, to say yes to sin is totally contrary to what we have, and that is the good fruit that God has given us. The fruit of the Spirit in our life. We are a different person than we were before we were saved. We are a person who loves. We're not going to slander somebody and be a gossip about somebody because we're a person who loves. That's who we are. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. We're not going to lie because God is the God of truth. We're not going to be immoral because God is holy, and he wants us to be holy. And so we have the fruits of righteousness, and God has begun to show those in our life. I imagine many of you today could tell me about when you got saved, and you could tell me about the change that took place. I mean, it was just a drastic change. You, I mean, you looked the same and everything, but inside it was different. You didn't desire to do those things you used to do. And if you decided to do them, you weren't happy in it anymore. It just changed you. You were a different person. What did you have? The fruits of righteousness. It's like this. The Lord says, uh, you should say no to sin because if you, had, if you went out to this fall, you went out to your apple tree, and you gathered a whole bunch, and you just gathered the best apples you could find, and you put them in that, and you were going to take them in and give them to your wife or your husband or your grandchildren or whatever, and you got this beautiful basket, and you were starting to walk away from the tree, and you see a rotten apple laying on the ground. Would you pick that rotten apple up and then put it in the top or maybe down in the midst of that bushel of good apples? 
Well, no, you wouldn't. Why? Because you have all this good fruit. You don't want to ruin it with bad fruit. And that's what the Lord's saying. You should say no to sin because of what you have. You have the fruits of righteousness. God's been doing all these good things in your life. God's been changing you. Why would you want to go back and take a rotten apple? Why would you want to go back and take a filthy sin and put it in your life? And God says, no, you shouldn't shouldn't do that because of what you have. You have the fruits of righteousness, of holiness. Romans chapter 7 says, before you got saved, you had fruit unto death. Let me ask you, when you, when you were a sinner before you got saved, was there any fruit that you had that was really good fruit? Well, no, there wasn't. Because the Bible says even, even our righteousness is ours, filthy rags in God's sight. Because we were separated from God, we're enemies of God. And so the things we produced in our life uh, really were not, were not that good. But the Lord says when he saves you, he changes you and gives you brand new life. But you had fruit unto death in the past. Also in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, we have the unfruitful works of darkness. Unfruitful works of darkness. What did your past life, what kind of fruit did it produce? You might say, well, I did some good things, but then you're going to do what? You're going to die. And then what? You'll go to hell. The ultimate fruit is you'll go to hell. That's not very good fruit. But the Lord says when you trust Jesus as your Savior, he gives you the fruit of righteousness. And we should say no to sin because sin produces bad fruit, and that should not have a part in our life. But then we have something else. We have fruit unto righteousness, and then we have eternal life. Eternal life. Sin brings death. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. But the gift of God is righteous, is, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, when that Christian gets saved, God doesn't give you the wages you deserve. He doesn't give you wages. He gives you a gift, and that gift is eternal life. And so you're faced with sin. You say, now, I know this isn't right, but I'm, I'm tempted. I, I think I'll do that. The Lord says, wait a minute. Don't you see how contrary that is to everything I've been doing in your life? See how contrary that is to the good things that I've been producing in your life. And can't you see how contrary that is to eternal life? You're going to live forever. And you're going to take this, to, and the devil tells you this will add to your life experience. How can that add to my life experience when with sin comes death? And sin is all, and God's, all of the devil's apples are rotten. Or you could say that all the devil's apples have worms in them. <laughs> but God's fruit is, is, is good. And he says the end of, of our life is, et- is eternal life. We have eternal life now, but when you die, it'll be eternal life forever and ever and ever. And so the Lord says, because you have fruit unto righteousness and you have eternal life, you should say no to sin. Well, it's true today that our world is going headlong in the opposite direction. They're saying yes to sin, not only saying yes to it, but saying it's right. They're not only saying yes to it, but they're saying that people who do right, as we see in the Scripture, they're the weird ones, and they're the uh, extreme ones, and we should uh, do these, these 
terrible sins, and that's, that's the norm. Well, that's not the norm, and that's not right. And we can't change the world, but our life as a Christian should be different. You should be known, and I should be known for my righteousness. We should be known for doing what is right. We should say no to sin because of where we are, we're in Christ, who we are, we're servants of Jesus, and what we have, and that is we have fruits into righteousness and we have eternal life. May God help us to say no to sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that you allow us to have victory over sin. Victory in Jesus can be ours when we trust you and yield to you and remember, Lord, what you've done for us. I pray that you'd help us all to be victorious. Now, I know this message will be put on trial today in everyone's life. There'll be somewhere today that we'll be tempted in some way. There'll be some way that we'll be tempted to think wrong and maybe to think wrong about someone else or maybe to do wrong, say something that's wrong, get angry and lose our temper, whatever it might be. There might be a temptation to have an immoral thought or an immoral deed. I pray, Lord, that we as Christians would say no to all those things because we're in Christ, we're your servants, and we have so much to be thankful for. Help us to be victorious, we ask in Jesus' name.